Yeah, tell us about your car and we'll tell you how much it is worth and this is how it works. It's easy. We need as pretty much as many details as you can get. The make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage, any history that you have on it, any anecdotes, any funny stories, any things that might help the value in any way whatsoever. Send them to us at 4001 or via the ARN player. Uh, but it won't be me that will be doing the bulk of it because it is the guy who knows all about valuation in this market and is the head of pricing at Algo Driven, Matthew Davison. Good morning, and what what actually actually a fantastic day looking out the window. I was talking to a friend this week, and uh, you can you can just feel that the summer's at that really end of its hot cycle, and that only means one thing, you know, six seven months of being out in our cars on the roads and just being with our families in the parks and beaches. It's just such a great place to live in the winter, the UAE. Yeah, and also the other little telltale sign is, is when you're following social media of, of car-like people is they're taking the covers off the classic cars. They're dusting them down. They're getting them a quick wash in a tub because it's nearly that time to uh, – to, it, it's, it's classic car weather. It's coming very soon. Yeah, we've got so much to look forward to this winter. Amelia Migler is coming back. Um, Gumball 3000 um, is here. Uh, which is uh, really great to see Gumball 3000 in this region. Normally it's, you know, London and then across Europe or across the States. Uh, so to see it in the Middle East this winter is going to be quite a spectacle. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. And, of course, our own uh, in the Chanjado is heavily involved with the uh, the Mille Amelia. So that, that'll be at the end of November. Uh, also something we're going to talk on a little later on too, uh, Porsche announced their second Icons of Porsche that's going to happen here at uh, D3 later in the year. Some amazing cars are going to come out from the factory, from from the museum, from Stuttgart. It's a very big thing now with uh, with with Porsche head office. So looking forward to uh, to seeing those two later on. Yeah, last year's uh, show was absolutely a knockout. Um, it was so much better than any of us expected. And I think one of the reasons it's back with a bang this year, and there's a lot of excitement ar- around this Porsche event. So, we've, you know, the, the, the end quarter to this year, this mm. kind of October, November, December, there's just so much going on. Uh, really great to be involved in, in the car world. And everybody that's enthusiastic about cars have got just so much to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let, let's get into it because we had so many texts last time. There's a few that we couldn't uh, couldn't read out. But first things though, I've got a question from Ramsey who's, uh, who's um, texted in and he wants to know, and I'd like to know your thoughts on this as well. What are your thoughts on the new Ferrari SUV that was uh, shown this week? Uh, the Pura Sangue. Mm. I think that's exactly, exactly the way to pronounce it, um, which is Italian for thoroughbred. Um, the Italians always name stuff, stuff so great, you know, <laughs> you, you, you know, everything in Italian just sounds so much better, you know, that even the word, uh, Forza to, to, yeah. to race. Um, so yeah, you know, it, it seems to me to be an evolution of the GTC four Lusso. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's, well, it certainly seems to, to hail from, from that, uh, and it's an evolution of that design, but you know, a friend of mine grabbed me this week and said, you know, why are they calling it an SUV? It's nothing like an SUV. But I said, well, what does SUV stand for? Sports utility vehicle. Yeah. Um, it probably is that. Actually, it's probably a good definition for what it is. It's, it's uh, something that's a bit more um, utilitarian for, for moving things around and your family and everything else. But it's, it's by nature one of the best sports cars. Yeah. Um, runs. Runs the same engine as the 812 Superfast, although slightly detuned, down to 715 brake horsepower from the 800. But that 6.5 litre V12, I didn't think I was going to see it in another another car after the 
812 Superfast. So I'm pleased they've just kept it going, you know, one one more edition. Interesting you say that because a little telltale for me when I saw the car was in the styling was it, it doesn't have the trademark uh, front sort of egg crate grille that, you, that we've seen on the Roma and on the, the, the GTC4 and that sort of thing, which kind of leads me to think that for sure the uh, the hybrid is not too far away and I think even a full EV. It's, it's got a very EV styling to me in the nose um, because of the lack of the grille. So uh, I think that's probably where the bulk of their sales will come from too, to be honest. But this is the, the hero model. Ferrari has to re- release it with a V12, but I think those will be uh, not too far away. Yeah, and I think, you know, everybody's got a roadmap. If you look at, uh, you know, technology, um, you know, whether it's phones, computers, uh, televisions, they, they kind of know where they're going. And so they start to build out the frameworks and they start to understand what they're going to do next. And I think naturally for Ferrari, Ferrari will want to hang on um, to, to fuel as long as it possibly can because it's so ingrained in its DNA. But um, the way that it will do it will be through hybrid power units. And I think I see this in the future, like a lot of Ferrari models. I mean, they've already started it with the SF90 and the 296. So I think, yeah, you're exactly right. And, and the styling reflects what it can be in the future. But, you know, an, in, an interesting thing I was chatting to uh, Zena, our producer, about is if you Google Toyota Crown SUV, which yes. is uh, an SUV that Toyota are launching uh, in 2023, that has eerily uh, similar uh, design lines. Yeah. Uh, and I think you're going to see a lot of people pick up the Toyota Crown at, uh, at less than a tenth for the price and feel very proud of, of themselves out on the road. Well, I can throw another one at you because I I, I, inst- I saw the Toyota Crown. I also saw I also saw um, the MG Marvel R in its styling with the with the, the those sort of V shaped headlights and the uh, and the light bar across the nose. So uh, yeah, it seems to be the, a bit of a design trend that's um, that's coming through with with these cars. Yeah, and if you look at, at um the, the delta between the high-end manufacturers in terms of design and, and the lower-end and mid-end, the, the, the delta is closing every single year. So you look at the styling of, say, Kia and Hyundai versus Audi and Mercedes. 20 years ago, Audi's design was so far ahead, it, it just felt like it was something out of the future, especially when they launched the R8 for the first time. Mm. Uh, but now but now these these manufacturers like the Chinese guys, MG, like Hyundai, like Kia, they're producing some really fantastic looking cars. And I think uh, the big boys now, um, yeah, they'll always have that refined engineering and that experience in manufacturing. But um, the gap is closing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, let's go straight to the lines. And uh, we've got on the line Sonny, who has, uh, we're talking about classic cars. Good morning, Sonny. You've uh, you've got a very nice classic car, I believe. Good morning. Good morning. And I must compliment. This is one of the best shows that I always look forward to hearing whenever I'm driving as well, you know. And uh, yeah, very good show. Ah, thank you so, so much. I've got two questions. One is the classic, which is 190 SL, 1961 Mercedes Benz. I've just recently imported this. Um, it's currently under restoration here in a garage in Dubai, changing the Solex uh, carburetors to Weber. Just wanted to get your advice on um, if I want to flip it sometimes later. Do you think it's good to, on these uh, classic cars, is it good to put an air condition? Um, is that the first, that's is it okay? That's first question. Second, what valuations? Um, because I don't see a great uh, classic market here, like in US or UK at the moment here in Dubai. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the classic market here is is uh, is growing very quickly. Um, air conditioning, I, I, I think, for, for, for from a practical sense, if you're not if you if you don't have your car that you want to sort of win a concours for being a completely original and standard and more practical that you want to actually enjoy it, I don't see a problem with that as long as the cooling system is upgraded to to handle that. Um, and now is, as we we're just saying a few moments ago, now is uh, is the time when everyone's getting their cars out. So I think Matthew, you'd agree. I think if you were looking to to sell it, um, now is absolutely prime time. Yeah, morning, right. Sonny, and thanks for thanks for calling morning. in with such a great question. I mean, the way I look at classic cars here is we we, we do you know have you know quite intense heat, and they do need to go into you know uh, a climate controlled storage for at least five months of the year. And because of that, the, the market is somewhat, um, you know, suppressed versus, you know, Europe or, or the States. Having said that, um, if your intention is to keep it here for long term, I'd spend the money on the modifications to for the AC and, 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 and various other um, local additions you can do, you know, protecting against the heat, etc., with maybe some PPF. Um, but if your intention is to keep it for a shorter time and sell it, um, I wouldn't do those changes and I wouldn't sell it here. It's far better going out onto the market in Europe or, or, or North America. I, I think the value would be somewhere around 15,000 euros, which is the same as dollars these days. They're, they're at parity. So 15,000 US dollars, 15,000 um, euros is what those type of cars are changing hands for. But that is very subjective based on the condition. You know, if, if the condition is, is concourse, that figure can can go north very very fast. Right, thank you. The second question was: uh, currently, I'm um, driving an S350 2013 Mercedes Benz, um, very well maintained, always with um, Bergash. And uh, what should be the price approximately if I want to flip this? Yeah, so you're looking at an eight-year-old car now, and these are the type of cars that you need to stay on top of it sounds like you have done um, because they can get very expensive if you don't um, and I think when you come to sell it that's what you need to get into your headline that you've really maintained it well what's the kilometers uh, 80,000 and very yeah, well maintained very, there's no problem with yeah. the car uh, and that's super low kilometers another great selling feature my gut feeling is that car is, is around 75 80 you may even be able to stretch it to 85 if you can really um get those important points across in in your marketing when you try and sell that car that that it has got those low kilometers and you have really looked after it wonderful thank you so much thanks appreciate thank you very much thanks very much sonny and uh have a great day fix it or flip it that's right. Tell us about your car. We'll tell you how much it's worth. And this is how what we need from you. You need to make the model, the year, the colour, the mileage, any information that you can provide. And uh, and with that, we're going straight to the line to Alex, who's on the line. Alex, thank you so much for, for sticking around. Uh, now, you've, we're going back. You're saying you've got a 2019 Jeep uh, Limited that you're looking to sell. Is that correct? Yeah, Grand Cherokee uh, Limited. That's correct. Okay. So it's, uh, it's the black. Uh, you've got 67,000 kilometres on it. And uh, you're looking to to trade, upgrade, or just simply sell? I, I'm looking. To, I'm, I'm kind of have a. I have a worry that it's a bit of a. It's a bit of a buggy car, and and since we've had it, there's been nagging issues, and I'd like to. I'd like to uh, probably get rid of it and do something similar with a similar car. Um, 
but I'm just looking at what maybe the, 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 the right thing to do is. The mileage to me says it's kind of at a, a nice point to get rid of it um, at the same time. Um, and then still get some, some money back for it uh, with, with, uh, with uh, 67,000 kilometers on the car. Okay, Matthew, what do you think about that? It's a 2019 Jeep GC Limited. Yeah, morning, Alex, and I'll give you the best of what I've got because you were so patient through the break, hanging on the phone. Um, look, the first thing to unpack is what the current value of the car is, and I believe it's around 140. If you were selling it yourself yeah. online, I'd put it on maybe at 139. Um, yeah. I, I think that is the price that, that, that would move it uh, relatively quickly. Um, I think you need to push the fact, you know, this is a GCC car under warranty, um, good kilometers. If you traded it against a new car, uh, you're going to get a lot less, um, 115, yeah. 120 as a trade-in. Um, if they offer you more than that, they're probably, they probably already had money in the car they're selling you um, to offset the trade-in. So if you're always more powerful to walk in with cash selling the car yourself and then actually pushing them to bring down the, the price of the car um, that, that they've got with your power of your cash. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think it's a good time to sell to, to answer your original question. Okay, great. And, and would you would you have a recommendation over uh, which medium to sell it privately or through one of the online uh, sellers? Um, there's a convenience factor I appreciate for that. Um, but would you would you have anything to to, to guide uh, a listener on, a novice listener? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. And you've really got three ways to sell a car in today's market. You've got um, all out just uh, cash buying companies which are going to give you a, a certainly not the best price in the market and there's too many people in the chain to get paid to make that work just my opinion um, then you've got people uh, managed selling uh, options like car switch where they'll actually take the photos answer the phone etc and they'll take a fixed fee um, or the, the last one which involves the most work is photographing it and listing yourself but you will get obviously the most value. I think if, if you trade your, your time and convenience, probably the, the, the one in the middle is probably the best option, uh, a managed yeah. selling service like CarSwitch. Terrific. Brilliant, Alex. And if you mentioned the car switch that you, you, you discussed on Motomania, they might even do you a good deal. <laughs> there we go. I can do that. I can do that. Brilliant. Thank, thanks very much, Alex. Uh, now, also, now we're going straight to uh, to Karen on the line. Karen, good morning. You've got a, a, a dilemma about six cylinders, uh, cars. That, that's right. Good morning, guys, and uh, thank you for making me on air. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I was just uh, going through, you know, uh, a time where I would like to upgrade my Dodge Charger six-cylinder and upgrade it to a BMW because I, mean, I don't know something about BMWs, which, I, you know, uh, I still love about it. Uh, so is there any closest six-cylinder BMW, um, which, which, you know, can compare to the power that Dodge Charger gives it? I know... Um, done some research it's 530i is probably the closest but definitely i would look for your expertise and letting me know which is the closest six cylinder you know sedan uh, or even a you know even a suv which is uh, like a similar you know uh, pay um, horsepower or or muscle car and then which is economical <laughs> Yeah, I mean they're they're very different in the way that they feel the characteristics of between the, the the Dodge six cylinder and the BMW six cylinder. For sure, you'll probably get uh, better efficiency out of the, uh, the the BMW engine, so you can go for a for a lower 
engine capacity such as the, the 530i, uh, but then you might miss some of that low-down torque that, that, the, that the Dodge engine does give you. So it's a matter of trading off. Um, European cars tend to develop their power higher up in the in the in the power band, so you know they're, they're great they're, they're great on the motorway, but you miss a little bit of that that low down push that you get from the Americans. So it depends on that. But whichever whichever way you go, you'll probably get a, a, a greater fuel fuel economy out of the BMW versions for sure. But yeah, five thirty five forty as well. Um, uh, so five three three five as well. If you're looking at, at, at used cars, uh, Matt, what's what's your, what's your your opinions? Yeah, morning, Karen, and, and thank you for asking such a great question because a lot of people always have that dilemma of, you know, power versus efficiency and fuel economy. So on the newer BMWs, um, a lot of their ranges now have the turbocharged uh, two-liter four-cylinder, which kicks out about 250 brake horsepower, nearly 300 pound-foot of torque. So that is um, that's really a good engine because uh, that gives you a decent amount of power. Uh, and you've got the fuel efficiency as well. Where you'll probably suffer a little bit is is that 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 low end torque. I don't think will be there like it is with the uh, the inline six cylinder, which is closer to 400 brake horsepower. Um, but um, as I said, it depends if you're looking at the newer models. Um, but I, I would focus I would focus on the um, the two liter turbocharged four cylinder engine. To be honest, go out there and drive them. Um, I get to hang out at BMW a lot because Algo Driven uh, inspection uh, division actually inspects all the BMW lease cars. So I'm always there playing around with the BMWs and driving it. And my personal view is that the newer um, four-cylinder turbocharged engines are enough power uh, and you get that fuel economy as well. Okay, excellent. I think that, that that's really helpful. And probably I think the, the second part of the question was, uh, because I know the American cars have comparatively, I've seen it much more, uh, you know, uh, good to the pockets. So it seems that it doesn't give you much um, cost. But BMW definitely, I'm, I'm upgrading it. I, I'm sure I'm going to have something uh, with um, you know expense on that side. So is that uh, true that BMW, when you when you buy a BMW, it is something that you have to increase your expenses exponentially, or you know it's just a, a myth? So maybe if you can just clarify that as well. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends how old the car is that you're buying. I mean, um, you know, the newer models, it kind of throws you out a little bit because you'd think the 530 would have the three litre engine. It doesn't. That has the two litre. It's actually the 540s and the 550s that have the, the bigger three litre engines. Um, so bear that in mind if you're looking at the newer models. But I, I think, look, like any any German car, any German manufactured car, as they get older, you really need to stay on top of the maintenance. I always find that small issues turn into big issues when they're not caught early enough. Uh, I had a customer who had um, a drain plug uh, fail, um, which is what you undo to let the oil out of the, the, the car when you are out of the engine when you're changing the oil. And they didn't know, and it basically drained the oil, and the engine seized, and it was a, it was a new engine, all because of a, a drain plug that cost a few dirhams. If they'd if they'd had that car uh, looked over regularly, you know, every six months, they might have caught that early enough to to stop the disaster. So I'd say, look, if it is an older BMW, just make sure that you um, you stay on top of of getting the car in at least once every six months. And if you want to be really clever. Get your servicing interval 
and put it in between the annual uh, government RTA tests. So, for example, if your car's due for an annual test around January, try and do your servicing in the summer. That way, there's, there's trained eyeballs looking at your car every six months. Um, and that's what you want because they're going to spot if something's starting to go wrong. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much for your assistance. Brilliant. Th- thanks very much, Karan. And uh, I hope that uh, some useful information for sure. As uh, Chris has done, he's texted in one for us, and it's, uh, he's got a Volvo XC 2016 model uh, with 120,000 kilometres, and he says it's red. Um, what, any idea on price with that one, uh, Matt? Uh, he doesn't say which one it is. I, I guess it's the XC60. You've got the XC40s, obviously, yeah. the XC90s. Uh, if it's the 16 model, there's most of them are 60s. Yeah, that's um, what If I it's thought. the XC60, I would say around 60,000, uh, 55, 60,000 for that car. Um, probably looks quite nice in red, actually. Yeah, well, not many around uh, in that colour, so it would stand out for sure. So, uh, yeah, I, yeah. Hope, I, hope that, uh, I hope that helps you, uh, Chris. Fix it or flip it. Saturday mornings. Uh, tell us about your car. We'll tell you how much it's worth. And uh, this is how it works. It's easy. We need the make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage. Send it to 4001 or via the ARN Play app. And uh, valuation guru from Algo Driven, Matthew Davison, who is the head of pricing down there, and myself will do our best to uh, to answer you that one. Now, we're going straight to the lines, Matthew, and uh, we have Ali on the line with another BMW question. Good morning, Ali. Morning. How are you doing, guys? Very good, thank you. Very good. You've got a, an X5, is that right? Yes. So I've got X5, um, 2009 model. Um, it has done about uh, 200,000 kilometers. Um, so it is, uh, it's in a condition right now where I'm not able to decide whether I um, fix it or flip it. I started having some issues. It's 2009 model. Uh, kilometers is, as I said, 200,000, but then it has not been driven so much because it was a third car. It used to stand. Um, yeah, a few maintenance issues here and there, but now there are really some serious issues where uh, I've been told I might have to go changing the whole engine. Okay. So I don't know if I have to invest that kind of money on 2009 model to change the engine. Okay, so, so they cannot fix it or flip it. Yeah, so it's the 4.8 litre uh, V8. Any idea yeah. of what, what those issues might be? Did the, Have they sort of suggested what, what it might be? Uh, so there are two issues. One uh, was that there was an oil leakage from the engine, which I fixed it earlier. Uh, but then I've been told that it's a major issue that there is a, a oil leakage from the engine down. Um, and then I started to having a bit of a smoke issue from the car. When you start off, there are a lot of smoke. Uh, but when it's running it, I don't see much of an issue. Mm, okay. Uh, Matthew, now I think from memory the 4.8 had, a, had an issue with the, 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 the Venus timing. Is that, is that ring a bell with you? Yeah, it did. And... Um you know, you scared me a little bit when you talked about this car because I know it really, really well. Uh, and I've, and I've um, grown in this region as this car's got older and older. And I can tell you one thing, even if, even if it's running relatively okay, the value isn't going to be much more than $20,000. Um, and, and I can assure you 100% each year, anyone that buys these cars, it will cost you more than 20000 to keep it on the road. Um, if you want it to be uh, running well and safe. Um, so, look, if it's got that kind of major issue, I'm, I'm afraid it's time to trade it in for what you can get in terms of um, non-running condition. 
um, and uh, cut your losses because it will not be economical to repair this because you'll think it's good to to fix it and, and spend maybe 15, 20K fixing it. And then the following year, you'll be just throwing the same back in and the same back in. So, no, I can't yeah. recommend anything to walk away. Great. Great. Thank you very much for your advice. Okay, no, no problem at all, Ali. Thank, thank you very much for the call. Uh, we're going straight now to Majahid. Uh, good morning. You've got a, a Hyundai Tucson, 360,000 kilometres, but uh, it's all highway miles. Is that right, Dan, from here down to Abu Dhabi? Yes, good morning, Dan. Good morning, Matthew. Yes, it is uh, it's done like 360,000 uh, 360, uh, miles. And uh, because, yeah, it's a daily trip to Abu Dhabi, from Abu Dhabi to Dubai. And uh, that's it. So I don't know how much it will cost uh, to. Okay. So yeah, Matthew. I need. I need the value. I need the value. Just uh, to value the car, how much will it cost, uh, cost yeah. me to buy? Sure. So it's a 2011 model with uh, 360,000 kilometers uh, Hyundai Tucson. Yes, it's a brown car. Are you? Yeah. Are you sure it's uh, Abu Dhabi and back and not Saudi and back? <laughs> <laughs> I know because for my yeah. sister-in-law, so I thought <laughs> uh, I'm just pulling your leg. Um, yeah. yeah, well, you're a great advert for Hyundai, aren't you? To show that their cars, uh, if they're well maintained, they keep going and going. Um, look, you, you're going to have a hard job, but you need to really make it clear that these are highway kilometers. Why does that matter so much? Well, look, when you're on the highway, you're not really using your brakes much. Okay, you're not really using your suspension and steering that much, you know, because the roads here are really good, so you're not going over too many bumps. Um, the engine revs are stable, and you're not changing gear that much. So actually, it does make a huge difference. I mean, a car driven around the city with 150,000 going over bumps and changing gear all the time, accelerating, braking, would be the same as your car. So that's the difference, but you've got to try and get that across when you're selling it. I feel like the value is probably somewhere around 16 to 18,000 dirhams, if you can do a good job, um, as I just said. But um, if, you, if you feel that you, you want to continue or the family wants to continue to use that car, might be worth just keep on going until something major happens or it gives up because you wouldn't get a lot for 16 to 18 to replace it if you think about it logically and if it is running well at least you know where that car has been uh, as we discussed so um look at it like that if you do need to sell 16 to 18 thousand um but it might be worth keeping it even as a second car no she offered it for me for uh, 12 thousand okay deal i'm buying the car yes yeah well you know the car you said it's uh, in the family so um yeah. 12,000 12, yeah. 12, is okay. Uh, yes. Price to buy. If you don't want it, I'll take it. It'd be a nice little <laughs> run around if it's, if it's going well. <laughs> so it's a good bargain, you Yeah, it sounds, yeah, it, might, it sounds you like you should, should nab it, yeah. Yeah, okay, if it's running, okay. running five, you, 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 can't get a, you can't get a decent car um, with any kilometers on it that's running well for 12,000 in the market right now. Go and have a look, you'll see. Um, but okay. yeah, uh, uh, take it, 12,000. Even if it runs for... For two years, that's 6K a year. Um, look at what hiring a basic level, you know, Yaris or something is. Now, you'll be paying 1500 a month to rent a car. So that seems like a good deal to me. Yeah, absolutely. I'll jump at it. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks very much, Majid. Uh, now, we're going straight now to, uh, to, to Glenn. Good morning, Glenn. You've, uh, you're, you've got a question about a good little mid-size SUV, the Porsche Macan. 
Yeah, that's right. Morning, gents. And uh, the, the question is twofold, really. Uh, the second car in the family SUV, we've had it for about 10 years now. It's a 2011 Ford Edge, a 90k on the clock base model. Uh, so any advice on how much that would be uh, worth now? But obviously looking to upgrade uh, and looking at that uh, McCann size, uh, Explore size uh, sort of SUV uh, for, the, for the second car. Um, any views on the McCann? And it's peer range, and if it, if it's a good motor, is there any difference in your opinion between the Macan and the Macan S? Uh, well, in, in that range, I actually prefer the Macan to to the competitors. It's uh, it's just it's just a, a very good vehicle that's uh, that sort of fits into it's it's you know I find that some of the larger SUVs are for where I live in a park a little too large. This one is uh, is a nice size. The performance is great. Um, Contemporary styling. There's a, there's a new one as well, and uh, yeah, I, I think that's um, that's a great one. It's, it's it's based on the same platform as the uh, Audi Q5, and uh, and also the Volkswagen. But uh, but obviously they all have their own um, intricacies as well. But being based on uh, on on their own model, being Porsche. Uh, so out of my personal opinion, I, I think that's the that that's the pick of the, of that range of, of vehicles. You're probably paying a little bit of a premium over, say, the Audi badge or or that's the thing. But then you know, as we're talking with BMW as well, um, but yeah, I think you've. I think that's the, that's the right one to get, Matthew. Yeah, morning. Uh, I'll tackle the Porsche first because we're talking about that one. Um, I like it. Um, uh, when you look at the the life cycle of the vehicle, it's been around a lot less than than its uh, bigger brother, the Cayenne. Um, that's been around, believe it or not, twenty years now. So. You know, with, with less inventory in the market, when you look at the general ages, it's uh, it's a better car to have in terms of resale because you've got less competition. Uh, I wouldn't touch the basic McCann. I, I don't like the the, the, the two liter four cylinder. Uh, I would I would stump up the extra cash and go for the S. You get the three liter. Um, it, it, the, I prefer the six cylinder. It, it's um, it's a, a much smoother, much better drive, in my opinion. Um, okay. But again, that's subjective. It's I would get out and certainly drive um, both cars yourself, but you'll feel a big difference. You know, 100 more brake horsepower, uh, the S versus the McCann. Um, in terms of the Edge, um, you know, they're they're a, a, a staple car here, um, and, and especially families moving here, they kind of gravita- gravitate to them. With those type of kilometers, I feel it's got early 20s, 21, 22. You might even get 23,000 for it. Super. Thank you very much. Great advice. Thanks. Brilliant. Th- thanks very much uh, for that. Um, now we're going straight to to uh, to Cookie on the line, and we're talking about the same market segment, but this time, Cookie, you've got the Audi Q5 that you're looking for information on. Yes. Hi. Yes. Um, I have a Q5, Audi Q5, and the mileage is two six seven thousand, and uh, it's a white car. It's a beautiful car, amazing car, but the only issue is it's really, really costing me a lot of money to 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 fix it. So there's a lot of issues happening. There was a leakage, oil leakage, um, two months back. I had to pay like 3000 and something, almost 4000 dirhams. So um, my issue is the service is not so up to the standard. They used to be really good with, in terms of servicing my car. They were quick. They used to take two to three days. Now it takes a week with spare parts being shipped from Dubai all the way to Abu Dhabi. So it's, um, the, things, the things that are really costing me is, the service, the time it's taking, and also it's costing me a lot of money. So I, I'm thinking, should I get rid of the car? Should I keep it as a second-hand car? And if I do keep it as a second-hand car, what car, do I, what car can I buy? I need something which is affordable, 
easy on my pocket and my kids can fit in. Yes, yeah, so Matthew, it's 267,000 kilometres. So the, um, the, the kilometres are well and truly up there for a 2015 model. I guess that the delay in servicing also is part of the knock-on effect of, of uh, supply chain issues that we've got at the moment. So it's probably not really unique to, uh, to to the Audi brand. I think you probably find that's happening in a lot of places. But um, what do you think, Matthew? 267,000 kilometres. It's a 2015 Q5. Yeah, morning. And, uh, you know, we understand your frustration, as Damien said. It's across the board, the supply chain issues and, and servicing times. Uh, my my Tesla got bumped in a car park uh, about three and a half months ago. Not nothing serious, just a, a scrape on the rear bumper. Um, it, it it got fixed this week. There was a more than three months wait for the bumper to come uh, for that car. So I've been driving around with it with a damaged car for that long. And this is you know whether it's engine parts or body parts, there is a big wait. Um, you're suffering also from from the high kilometers, like, like we talked earlier in the show, when these cars start to get up there with those kilometers. And I think the value of the car is probably mid 50s, 55,000, because it's still an Audi Q5 and it's still got that curb appeal. So it's it's holding some value, but it's definitely the right time to move away from this car with those kilometers now. Yeah, yeah, I, I tend to agree with that one. Cookie? Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I'll get rid of the car. Thank you. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks very much, Cookie. Fix it or flip it. Welcome back. I'm Damien Reid. And uh, what we need to know is uh, all about your car, how much it's worth. And uh, we can tell you, we can give you that, uh, that advice as well. What we need is the make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage. And uh, send it to 4001 or via the ARM Play app as well. And we're going straight now to the line. And we've got uh, Hillary on the line. Good morning, Hillary. You've got a, uh, a Mini Cooper question. That's right. Morning, David. Morning. Um, I've got a Mini Cooper Red 2019 model. I actually I bought it second hand in lockdown. It was just a year old, and the guy had put 45,000 on the clock doing Abu Dhabi and back. So it's now got 84,500 on. It's a five door, just a basic one. It's not um, the S or sports model. And just wondering, my husband was. We were just talking about it yesterday. Wondering if we should trade it in for something else if it's getting to that time. It's still under warranty for parts and service until February 2023, or I think it was up to 100 or 120K. And I would like to stick with Mini. I love this little car. I love how nippy it is. But just wondering what the options might be or what you might suggest. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very unique car. You, you won't be able to find another sort of uh, car that that fits the characteristics of of Mini if you like the the, the look and feel of it. But uh, in terms of that market area, uh, my first thought, if you're looking for it just for a change or something else, still go back to, to to the dealership because it's all part of the BMW group. Have a look at the one series BMW uh, because they share a lot of commonality between the two cars, but very different character of different feeling. Then, of course, that opens up the door to other things such as the the, the A series Mercedes, for instance, um, and and uh, and that sort of area. But uh, you know, in terms of servicing and is that a lot more, that a lot more budget wise, like what kind of prices are those? Would those kind of cars go for? Probably, probably not. To be honest, because the mini, the mini is a premium product, and uh, and I think Matthew, you, you might agree that 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 uh, that you'd be surprised how quickly once you start adding on options to the mini, because there's options galore, the the price very quickly comes up to to that kind of territory. 
Yeah, morning. Um, unfortunately, I can only hear you, Damien, for some reason. So all I, 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 I don't know the oh. make and model of, of, of uh, sorry, the um, the model and year. Okay, so um, it's it's a 2019 Mini Cooper with 85,000 kilometres, uh, warranty until February 23. And uh, and Hillary's looking uh, looking to see whether is is now a good time to flip or keep it, or also looking at, at options such as uh, yeah, options in that in that market range, or even perhaps a hybrid uh, within that within that range. Yeah, I mean it's a very difficult car to replace. They're very sought after, and 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 it, they have that kind of. Uh, the Volkswagen Beetle type of feeling, where, where you feel very connected and 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 as one with the car. Um, getting a bit deep here, but um, only sort of I've ever only ever experienced that with um, in this type of range with with Mini and and the the, the newer uh, VW Beetles, which came out sort of early two thousands. Um, so yeah, I think you're going to struggle to actually replace it. And it would be a very good time to sell because they're very sought after at the at the moment, especially with that um, uh, warranty, etc. But uh, value eighty five to ninety in the market right now. But as Damien said, what where do you go? That's the problem. And and you know, if you wanted to keep it for a couple more years, uh, that would still be a, a great time to resell it. You know, when that car is uh, probably about five years old, coming to the end of the warranty. Then yeah, I would I would maybe hang on to it for a bit longer. Mm. Okay, great. That's very helpful. Thank you. Is, it, is there anything you suggest in the hybrid or electric models? Uh, the you know smallish ones. What I don't know what kind of things are out there. Uh, in terms of hybrid electric options, yeah, I mean it, it depends on if you like the character and the feel of the mini. There is isn't really nothing else around like that. Um, yeah. I mean there, there is the. Unfortunately, we don't have it in this market. There's the electric mini. Um, that would probably answer your question, <laughs> but uh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't think we have that one here. Um, yeah. So uh, no, look honestly, I, I, I agree with Matthew. I think you know it's 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 a very unique uh, characteristic car. If you like it, um, go around again. It's 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 a fun car. I really enjoy driving it. Um, they're very yeah. e- economical and efficient. And if you're happy with it, uh, I, there's nothing else like it. That's the thing. You know, it's a very unique kind of car. Okay, great. That's really useful, helpful information. Thank you. No worries, Hilly. Good luck. Good luck with that. Now we're going straight now to uh, Alex is on the line. Good morning, Alex. Hi. Good morning, guys. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. Good thing. Now you've got uh, you got a 2018 Ford Raptor. Um, nice one. Yes, Ninety thousand kilometres yeah, on it. Tell us more about basic. it. So it's basic. I've used it off road once and. People keep telling me it's a great time to sell this car because it's uh, pretty high in demand. So I want to know how much I could get for it if I actually look at the option. Because okay. replacing that would be a lot more expensive. I know that. <laughs> yeah, is it the is it the first year? Is it the V8 or it's the uh, the the the, the t- uh, Turbo V6? The, yeah, the Turbo V6. Okay, well, there is a new one coming as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you will be able to, you, I think, Matthew, you'll be able to sell that any any time of the day or week you'd like to. They're very in demand, the Raptor. Oh. Yeah, and we're just, go- we're just going into the uh, the winter as well. Um, so people will start looking at them. You know, it's that time where we start to go back out into the to the desert and, and camping and the wadis. So, yeah, you won't have too much trouble selling it. Um, it's it's probably around two hundred thousand dirhams in the market right now, um, uh, and and being a super cab as well, it's um, it's a little bit more appealing than the single cab. 
but yeah, I would say get it out there around 200,000. Um, and it, if it doesn't move in the next week or so, it certainly will move as we, uh, as we begin October. Okay, great. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for the info. No problems at all. Thank you very much, uh, Alex. Uh, now, we've got a text message in, and it's, uh, it's another Volvo question for you, Matthew. It's another, it's another XC, but it's XC60 Momentum 2016 model, uh, made in Belgium, 69,000 kilometres, white in colour, black interior, uh, very neat condition, purchased here at the Volvo showroom with 39,000 kilometres. Uh, it's been used as a leasing vehicle. It's serviced at Volvo and uh, looking to get an idea on the resale price and looking at maybe a Mazda 6, 9 as an option to replace. A really, really clever uh, part of that was made in Belgium because uh, <laughs> obviously now Volvo is, is uh, gone uh, east to China and um, no, lo- no longer made in Europe. Yeah. Um, what was the kilometres? Uh, 69,000 kilometres. Yeah, nice. I mean, this car is sixty to sixty-five thousand dirhams, um, and like I said, uh, the people that will know this will know that you know the six years ago when this was made new, that was still the old Volvo. So you kind of might want to put put that in the advert and and make that clear to the people that come and buy the car as well. Yeah, and also only travelling uh, thirty thousand kilometres since twenty since since he's purchased it. That's uh, yeah, it's been, it, it sounds like it's been nicely looked after. Um, now I've got another uh, text message that's come in and this is from Shabir and he's asked about a Porsche Cayenne 2016 model doesn't say which uh, which spec of Cayenne though 110,000 kilometres in perfect condition and getting an idea on the value of that one well I'm going to take a wild guess and say it's a GTS because there was I think you might remember me talking about this back in 2016 Porsche did an incredible uh, leasing deal on Cayenne's, it was like four nine 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 a month, and everybody jumped at it. Which meant, mm. as soon as that that lease period ended, after a year or two, there was a lot of Cayennes on the market. <laughs> um, and so these days, if you look, they're near enough um, all all GTSs. What was the kilometres? Uh, One hundred and ten thousand. Yeah, so it's it's creeping up, but not too bad. I mean, my feeling is this car is about one. 75 maybe 170 yeah um but yeah it will be out there among amongst a bunch of other gts's for sure yeah for sure right well that's all we've got time for for uh, for fix it or flip it and um i'm a little sad matthew because this is your last one with us you're passing on the baton to someone else uh sad news my friend but but you've got other things in store yeah, yeah. I mean, um, we've done a motoring segment. Well, I've done a motoring segment with Dubai Eye since about 2016, and, and it's sort of grown through bits on afternoon shows to this wonderful show that, that you host now on a weekend. Um, and it really is a live show. I'm sat here now um, doing it live, and, and the, the consequence of that is, is my, my weekends now are, are getting more busier and busier, and I have a lot of commitments with, with Algo Driven, my day job, and, uh, you know, I run, help to run, uh, you know, clubs like Supercar, Magilist, et cetera. So, and the last part, the most important part is, um, you know, I need to spend some more time with my family. That's been uh, evident. And uh, so, you know, I'd like to hand the baton on to somebody else. I'm sure there's lots of people listening that, that are super passionate about cars that would love to do what I do on a weekend so i'd be uh you know 
really, really pleased to see somebody else coming to the show. No, I understand entirely. And look, thank you so much for your for your work. I mean, the show wouldn't exist with, without you and uh, and your banter and your accuracy. Um, it's it's kept a lot of people happy. It's kept a lot of people informed. And uh, we're going to miss you on the show. But I'll tell you what, I'm not going to miss you uh, personally because I'm going to come down to your new cafe down there at Box Park with the Supercar Magilus guys. And um, and we're going to sit and have uh, have that, those coffees we've been talking about for a long time and uh, and chill and talk about cars. So if anyone wants to come down, do join us at, um, at uh, it's the Supercar Magilus Cafe. Is that right? Yeah, Supercar Magilus Cafe is now open at Box Park, um, just a, a couple of doors down from McDonald's. So look for the big McDonald's arch and you'll find us. I certainly will be hanging hanging down there a lot uh, with all the supercar guys, and and yeah, you know this is uh, this has been my home for twenty years at UAE, and I've loved I've loved giving back and, and being able to do this on a weekend and give people my knowledge that I've learned. You know, thirty years in the industry now, twenty years in the UAE, so it's been a pleasure, and, and I'm sure um, people will see me popping up from time to time in different places. Brilliant. Well, all the best, Matthew, and uh, we'll speak to you very soon. Yes, Motormania, and I'm joined now in the uh, in the studio with uh, uh, by Noel Ebden uh, with a lot of motoring news this morning. Noel, good morning. Morning, morning. Let's get straight into it. Go on in. Everyone's go talking it. about the uh, the new Ferrari SUV. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I was going to ask you that actually <laughs> first. Uh, okay, I like it. Mm. I mean, those doors are fantastic yeah there's uh, the rear barn well it's basically a barn door setup isn't it so yeah yeah and the interior is stunning as well um it was not, it was yeah. always going to happen wasn't it i mean you can't you can't be in the you can't be in the automotive market now and not have an suv and a premium suv at that yeah exactly and you know i know there's a lot of purists out there jumping up and down about ferrari building an suv but you know i'm very close to the brand myself and you know i i don't mind it doesn't bother me i mean porsche did it so well with the mm. uh, okay i mean the kn the very first kn yeah. everyone had a massive pop at it and it, it it you know it propped up the company i mean it did the, it did them so so much good as well and they're now in that market and you know nobody turns their nose up at kn nowadays so no you know. and 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 like the kn and like the lamborghini urus you you just know it's going to be the top selling car that they make. Yeah, for absolutely, sure, absolutely. And and look, we've seen the data globally. People want SUVs. Mm. So as a manufacturer, you'd be stupid to not go into the SUV market. Why wouldn't you? Rolls Royce have done it. Bentley yeah. have done it. Everyone's doing it. You know. And so they're just joining uh, the club, basically, aren't they? Yeah. What I found interesting with the styling is it gives a hint as to what they're going to do next with it, because uh, which we kind of all know. It, what's going to happen, um, and that is it doesn't have the traditional egg crack grille that we've seen on the GDC4 Lusso and the Roma. Um, the traditional front-engine V12 cars have that have that egg crack grille. This doesn't have it. Now, it's launched with the V12 engine, the same engine, detuned, still about 700-plus horsepower, so plenty. Um, but to me that, in, that, to me, that very much says that this is the launch spec to get the headlines, but the but the bulk of the car sales will come from either a hybrid or a full EV later on, because it's kind of got that styling ready yeah, ready to go for it. It has, yeah. I mean, and uh, yeah, it's definitely. I mean, each car that any car manufacturer launches nods towards what it's going to do in the future, yeah. doesn't it? I mean, that's always been the case. And so, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I'm not that keen on the rear of it. Um, I like the front. I love the side profile is excellent as well. Um, mm. I suppose the biggest question is how on earth do you pronounce it? <laughs> That's what I'm calling it the Ferrari SUV. Yeah, I, I um, noticed, I'd rather yeah. say that than not than not get it incorrect. I, I'm going. I'm going to have a crack at Puro Sang. That, that sounds seems right. to be about yeah. right. Which I'm sure was a Bugatti um, name. 
back in the day. Uh, you might be right. And so that's a bit odd that they're using that. But anyway, yeah. there you go. Right. Well, there we go. Now, we've got uh, we've got a phone call uh, that's just come in, a question for you and I, and it's come from 18-year-old Lath, who is uh, he's looking to um, get a car that he can work on and play with, a, a, a Japanese model car, 1990s kind of style. Uh, but we thought we'd get him on the line and, uh, and, and ask straight up. Uh, good, good morning, Lath. Hi, thanks for having me. Pleasure, pleasure. Now, uh, interesting text message you sent us. So, uh, thank you very much. Um, now, you're looking to, to have a tinker and have a play with a car, but looking at a, at a 90s kind of Japanese car, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, something I can kind of get my hands dirty with and hopefully kind of reliable as well. Okay, okay. So, what, what sort of anything you're looking at at the moment? I know Noel's got a – you've got an RX-7 Mazda, haven't you? An, oh, an early one. Well, yes, when it runs. When yes. it runs. Yeah. Uh, but but it's, a, it's a proper track car. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Are, are you looking like as, as like a street car or a track car or a bit of both? We already have a few cars in the house. So um, for me, I'm kind of looking for something for, to work on and maybe take to the track every now and again. But, you know, also used on the road reliably. So hopefully um, – I'm quite tall, as I said. I'm six foot four. So mm. I looked at RX-7, but obviously reliability is going to be an issue for me, especially in the heat here from what I've seen. Uh, I'm not an expert on them by any means, so uh, I'd love to hear your insight on that. Uh, I'm looking at a lot of Hondas, though, because I have experience with those cars. A B-Series Honda, an EK, I found one for sale. If I can find an EG, mm. it would be brilliant. Any of the, the coupes or the uh, hatches. Yeah. Mm. What do you th- I, know, I think I know of an Integra that might be for sale, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, oh. a white one that used to race at the Autodrome. Oh, that'd be good. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, but, that's been converted back to street trim. I yeah. think that might be up for grabs. I'm, I hope I haven't got that <laughs> one wrong. But anyway, what do you think, though? Yeah, I mean, look, um, just to quickly cap off on the uh, on the Mazda side of things, the um, the Mazdas aren't, aren't unreliable as people think they are, um, but there's very few experts in them here, and a badly built RX-7 will go wrong. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I speak from experience on that. So you, you've got to, you, you to know what you're doing, and there isn't the people here to do it. So... Um, and the but the going back to your other point about you want to use it on the road and on the track that's when things become a little bit tricky mm. because you can't put a roll cage in a car and road register it here mm. you can buy a car that comes from the manufacturer like a GT3 Porsche or something like that that has a cage from the factory that's fine if you take any car if you bought a let's say a Camry or something and stuck a roll cage in it immediately you can't register it there's right, a it's, okay. it, it's a it, it's a rule here basically yeah. so you can't do that so um, if you're going to use it on the road, you can't put a cage in it. Um, if you want to use it on the track and it be a full track car, then it will need a cage. So you've got to – you can do it. You could run a car with no cage and just do track days, but mm. um, you can't race a car and use it on the road, clearly. I mean, n- nobody does that anyway. So And there's also yeah. very strict rules here about signage on cars, yep. stickers, colours, changes even, yep. and, and certainly numbers on doors. So you've got to th- uh, think of that as well. So, so Leith, are you thinking like as a, as a full-on race car that you can drive to the track and back or just for, for track nights? No, for me, I, I want to keep it relatively tame. So um, something you know, decently stock, but I want to take it to like a, a weekend track day, and not not race it in the series, but more to myself and improve with the car in my driving experience. Just have some more track time. Yeah, I mean, I was looking around. I think there's a couple of. It's a shame that there aren't more. Toyota didn't sell the Celica here. No, and, no, and yeah. shame. They're a good little car. They I mean, are, that would yeah. fit the fit the bill nicely. It's a four cylinder, easy to work on, and they have a bit of motorsporting pedigree. Obviously, the GT4 versions in the World Rally Championship. Um, 
maybe the 350Z, the earlier ones. I mean, they're very affordable yep. and they're manual, rear-wheel drive. You jump, you got you got in right. <laughs> I was going to say next. Yeah, the um, there's loads of really cheap 350Zs. Yeah. They're great road cars and they're very easy to turn into a very good track car. And so, a lot yeah. of parts, a lot of performance yep. parts for that V6 yep. engine that's yeah, used yeah. in a lot of vehicles. So it's it's on the cusp of, of, of getting just before too technical with the ECUs yeah, exactly. and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I mean, look, you're looking in the right area with Honda. There's a reason yeah. that so many people have raced Hondas here in the uh, in the series because it's not about the car. So it, it's a more about what parts you can get and the expertise that's around. And there's loads of people that know a lot about those Hondas. So definitely Honda. Possibly 350Z. If you can push to a 370Z, that would yeah. be even better. Um, yeah. But anything else? I mean, I, I went, I went the fr- uh, French route and ended up in a Peugeot on the grid, <laughs> and uh, that was not a good idea because there's very few parts suppliers here, and you can't get, you know, it's difficult to get race suspension, etc. So, yeah, I, I think Honda definitely. You're in the right, you're in the right area for that. Yeah. How, how does that sound, Leith? What, what, what's uh, what's ticking your boxes? That would be great. Um, typically, you were saying about the Celica. I know they have, uh, I've seen a few of the 2ZZ, like the 7th Gen Celicas, mm-hmm. which are brilliant motors from what I've seen. It's kind of similar in vain to the K-Series Honda motors. Yeah. Uh, 350s, I know they have a lot of potential with the, the VQs, the uh, the engines, and the chassis are good, too. Yeah. So it's definitely a good idea in terms of uh, a car, from what I've seen. Mm. Yeah. But, uh, Pretty hard to partial myself because. Yeah. <laughs> so. Just just one other thing to mention. You mentioned about your height, and what you'll find is that a race seat in a car, and Damien will remember this from his golf days. Mm-hmm. You tend to sit in a in, when you put a race car seat in a uh, road car, you sit much lower anyway. Yeah. So you'll actually yeah. gain headroom putting just simply by putting a race seat in. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Look. I hope that I hope that uh, that that gives you some advice. And I tell you what, Leith, uh, keep us informed um, with, with with what you're going. We'd love to uh, we'd love to get an update on you later on. All right, brilliant. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Leith. Um, interesting uh, conundrum yeah. to, to get into, and we've all been down, down that path. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, right. So let's get on to some other news. Interesting one that came out of the Detroit Auto Show. On the, actually, let's come to that in a moment. Uh, you've got some news here locally about motorcycle uh, movie evening coming up so there's there's a very very unique event coming up and it's on the friday the 23rd and saturday 24th and it is the dubai motorcycle film festival Mm. so this is yeah it's basically an evening and then the following day of short motorcycle films run out of uh, warehouse four yeah okay yeah yeah you can find venue yeah exactly yeah and uh We've they've got um, Claudio von Planter coming over oh. now. If you haven't heard who he is, he's the guy who filmed the Long Way Round with Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman. Which is one of the best series I've ever seen. Absolutely, it's just it's yeah. just it just makes you want to get out there and just ride to the, to the horizons. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now he they needed a cameraman who could ride to go with them. So he was yeah. basically the third rider that you see. You actually see him a lot on the films, and he's coming over to do a talk as well um, and uh, be at the festival. So um, if you want tickets, go on to. Instagram, put in the Dubai Film Festival and uh, Motorcycle Film Festival, and you'll find it. Fantastic. Well, uh, absolutely keeping on that. Big show lined up for you this this morning. Live in the studio right now, we've got uh, the uh, Managing Director of Cadillac International Operations and Cadillac uh, Middle East, uh, Christian Aquilina. Uh, good morning, Christian. Good morning, Damien. Good morning, Noel. Great morning. to be here. Thank you. Th- thanks for thanks for joining us in the studio. Um, uh, it's it's something we we've been trying to tee up for quite a while. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of good news coming out of, out of Cadillac. Uh, we were in we were in Detroit a few weeks ago. We we're just talking about that, uh, looking at the future product of Cadillac and General Motors in general, including the the, the new Hummer EV. 
but particularly the Cadillac models. Um, there's a, there's a, a big commitment from from Cadillac, and uh, and we're going to see it here, right? Oh, we definitely are. We, we, we just announced last week, actually, we'll be bringing six new Cadillac EVs between now and uh, 2025 right here to the region. It's, uh, it's an exciting big step to us. We, for us, we, we made a commitment here that we'll be all electric by the end of the decade. So it's a huge transformation for a brand probably not known yeah. for, uh, for this type of technology. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, this is the thing, and and a few people saying this. We're just keeping an ear on the Detroit Motor Show this week, and it's it's kind of like it's a it's a sea change, in essence, for for the for the brand. If you think back to the seventies and eighties, you think of Cadillac being the, the the Florida retirees. Sorry, but but that's that's <laughs> kind of thing. But now, when you look at like hot models like the 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 CDSV, the Blackwing. Love those cars. I genuinely love those cars, and now the electric vehicles going down over. It's a very different demographic that, that Cadillac's now moved into. Well, it's, um, it, it's a brand that's governed and, and, and led by a, a real belief and a commitment to bringing technology, technology first, to the market. And it has a long history of that, despite that reputation that you may have decided. Uh, it has a very long reputation of that, going back to the uh, early part of the 1900s, where it was the first to introduce an electric starter motor. Before then, it was cranking engines mm. uh, with your arm, and that was quite dangerous. So what a safety, what a safety advancement that well, was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's quite a few firsts, actually, from Cadillac. Um, first car to ever have fiber, fiber optics as well, I believe. Back yeah. in, oh, really? Back in, yeah. like, age, like, literally 50s, I think it was, yeah. or something like that. Yeah, real te- technical-led company, yeah. Actually, I think, and it's just off the top of my head, I think they were the first ones also with the auto-dimming headlight. Lights, yep. that's yeah, which use a photovoltaic cell. That's too much for a Saturday morning. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, also, yeah. also night vision. I mean, the cars yeah. that uh, we have there, out there today have night vision. That's been there since the early nineties, and um, yeah, that's yeah. a that's a that's a, a, a massive safety enhancement, mm. uh, particularly in parts of the world where you do have. All sorts of things appearing on the roads uh, at night, <laughs> at night, <laughs> yeah. especially where we come from, Damien. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> what, what sort of um, what sort of features now are customers looking at when they're looking for a, for a new car? Because it's, it, it's with connectivity now, things are changing very quickly. Yeah, I mean, uh, quite frankly, it's uh, it, it is it's such a diverse um, a demand from the de- from from, uh, from from customers. Connectivity, uh, the ability to connect your car to the internet, just brings on uh, so much opportunity in terms of your safety, convenience, and um, and luxury features. But you can't get away from the classic old hey. I need to get the right mileage. I need to get uh, comfort, great air conditioning, uh, efficient. Some of these things are the basics now, the mm. hygiene yeah. factors, right? So uh, yeah. the technology that we push for over and above that is um, is something that just wows customers. Yeah. yeah. And that's one thing I noticed when we're, when we're over in the States. So I managed to get behind the wheel of the, the Lyric that's on its way. That's the first uh, EV. Mm. Um, and what I noticed straight away was first impressions was uh, – Firstly, this the spacious cabin. The interior is is enormous because you're not hampered by a combustion engine. You've got a much more cab forward kind of kind of style about it. Um, obviously, no drive shaft that all drives have, so you've got a lot more rear interior space. Um, but it was uh, the way. What I really liked about this this the event that we did was it was not on a public road. It was on a track, but it wasn't on a racetrack. So it was it was General Motors, you know, 
top secret proving ground kind of thing. Um, but it was a, a copy of like backcountry roads, bumps, dips, gravelly shoulders, even fake train tracks and the whole thing. And it showed you how much this car, because obviously like all electric vehicles, they're not very light because that's the nature of EVs. But the way it soaked up the bumps and gave that kind of Cadillac ride where very different to, say, a German sports touring car like an M5 or an AMG Mercedes at a very sort of kidney belt type. It had that sort of wafting ability, but but still very nice nice poise on the road. Yeah, I mean uh, EVs, and particularly the, uh, the the Cadillac interpretation of it, with its very low centre of gravity, the um, battery cells built into the floor of the vehicle, uh, the the battery uh, cells become part of the chassis, and it just um, really changes the dynamics of the vehicle. Uh, GM engineers, Cadillac engineers, very much um, focused on dialing in the driving dynamics, the performance, the uh, the ability, uh, the steering and suspension that really customers have come to expect from uh, Cadillacs. We take we we've taken the uh, inspiration from the Cadillac CT5V Blackwing mm. as you've uh, as you've experienced and tried to bring some of that into the everyday SUV type vehicles as well. Um, so that's what you experience out there, and the vehicles that we develop out of that uh, facility need to be uh, compliant with. A whole vast range of uh, countries, not just uh, not just the US. It kind of plays, yeah. I guess. Um, EVs play into Cadillac's hands, really, because you've always been about uh, interiors and really nice, luxurious interiors. And you get, as Damien said, you get so much more space with an mm. EV because you're not hampered by drive shafts and engines, etc., yeah. etc. Et so, um, yeah, I mean, the guys, the guys, I guess, can go to town, can't they, on interior design to a certain degree? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the space efficiency that comes from EV devi- uh, de- design, it's uh, it's incredible. Um, so, yeah, for the same package, what you're able to give the customer is a hell of a lot more. But, we, of course, we still need to infuse that with that craftsmanship and yeah. technology that people expect and, uh, and have come to expect the Cadillac. I, yeah. I think that's what I remember the most about driving. I remember I drove the very first Escalade back in the day. And uh, yeah. it was like, it's like driving a, a really <laughs> comfy lounge. I mean, the, the <laughs> seats were incredible. I mean, I'd, I'd quite happily take them out and put them in my house, <laughs> even now. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, while we were over there, too... Um, we had uh, amazing access to to the vehicles, to the product, and to the people there as well. So, managed to go grab a quick chat with uh, with Christian Soma, who's the uh, is that how? Sorry, have I said that yeah, correctly? Christian Soma, Soma, yeah. Yeah. yeah, President, Managing Director of Strategic Markets Alliances and Distributors, um, about uh, Cadillac's big plans. All the future Cadillac F programs will be based on the Altium platform. The Altium platform is extremely flexible. Twenty twenty six. No new petrol cars after that. There will be ice cars that will be able to be sold off from dealer lots. We are now doing plug-in hybrid. We believe in an all-electric future. We also believe we have a strong ice portfolio. And uh, all of our resources and our commitments have done fully in all-electric versus uh, a bridging strategy that we we don't believe will will have a long-lasting future versus electric. So so it brings up a really interesting point there, the, the Altium platform, which is the... It's basically it's a plug and play. Effectively, you can put different body styles on it, and and it makes it a very, um, it makes it much more manageable, I, I guess, to sort of think about future markets in a very short time frame and and adapt a vehicle to it. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the word that Christian used there, which is quite appropriate, is flexible. This mm. uh, it's a modular platform. You can um, even change uh, the way that you stack the battery cells, but uh, with our uh, lyrics, we'll have them flat inside the. Uh, in the in the in the chassis of the vehicle, um, it gives you that 
uh, amazing flexibility. I mean, the, the range of body styles we're talking about from GM as a global portfolio, you, you drive the Hummer. It's mm. a, it is a certain beast of a vehicle. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you what, is it? <laughs> <laughs> but that same, that same platform is adapted to um, deliver a very refined and, uh, and a luxury um, experience for customers like the Lyric that you just talked about. Yeah. Same platform. Yeah. Uh, I'm joined in the studio now with uh, Christian Aquilina, the Managing Director of Cadillac International Operations and uh, Cadillac Middle East. And because we've we've just been having some fun driving the new electric Cadillac Lyric over in the US uh, a few weeks ago um, and uh, talking about all things coming. Now, this car, I believe... The the launch edition is already sold out. Is that correct? Of the lyric, or it's, it, it sold out in like twelve minutes in the US. It was uh, it's phenomenal, unbelievable. Twelve minutes, unbelievable. That's now, insane. Uh, there's there's my understanding is that there'll be two versions. There's the um, there's the is a, a a dual motor and an all wheel drive. Is that correct? Also a single motor and a dual motor. That's correct. When the dual motor comes with the uh, is the all wheel drive version, and that's what we'll be having here in the Middle East when we launch with that car next year. Yeah. So that is. Uh, Oh my goodness! It's what's five hundred brake horsepower, um, and a reported six hundred kilometer range too. It's it's around five hundred kilometers. Okay. I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd say just to be fair with everyone, and and about six hundred and ten uh, newton meters of torque. So with that that kind of uh, torque available from uh, the instant you touch that pedal, it's just. <laughs> I yeah. think we'll be getting sub five seconds on that car, and even though it's a family SUV. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Yeah. I tell you, what, talking about fun cars. Uh, also, when we we're at the track, obviously it was it was a, just a, a ride day. Grab the keys to whatever you could, and I said before, got in the CTSV Blackwing with the. It's not EV, but it's a six point two V eight, the manual, the whole lot. And then you encouraged me to get into uh, the, as you hinted before, one of the most outrageous cars, the, the Escalade V series. What a fun car! I mean, it, this thing is is just it moves mountains, but it sounds the uh, sound is incredible. <laughs> these these cars are like days away from arriving here in the Middle East in good numbers for uh, for sale. And uh, yep, again, six point two liter V eight, uh, six hundred and eighty two uh, brake horsepower. Uh, I think it's in the eight hundreds the horse uh, the uh, the newton meters. <laughs> but yeah, to your point, Damien, it's the soundtrack that comes with it. Yeah. it's almost unmatchable. It's that crackle and pop that you get. You put it in V mode, and away you go. You just, uh, every, the neighbours know that you're there. The emotions, <laughs> and you can sneak away quietly if you want. Then you can open up the pipes Correct. later. On. Brilliant. Yeah. You, you get to choose. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Um, now. You've been obviously a fellow Antipodean from Australia. Um, I understand your background, of course, back part of General Motors was back with Holden in in Australia, New Zealand. Um, sorry, I, I I just offended you, didn't I? You're actually from New Zealand. No, no, I am. Oh, you're Australian. Australian. Okay. I'm Australian. I worked in New Zealand. All, all cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all good. <laughs> yeah, you get a bit touchy sometimes yeah, with the Kiwis. I'm staying out of this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we just especially after the, yeah. especially after the bledders I cut last night. Yeah, let's not go there. Um, so uh, now you've you've collected a couple of nice uh, uh, Holdens, there. and one particularly which I think a lot of people here would would love to get their hands on is uh, well they're sold here as a Chevrolet Lumina, but it was it's the pickup version. It's the it's yeah, the, it's the Ute. Well, back I mean, as you said, I used to work for a brand called uh, called Holden. It was General Motors brand in that part of the world, and we made something that was very unique in the world, which is the Ute version or the pickup version of the Lumina sedan. Albeit with a 6.2 litre V8, <laughs> four-wheel uh, Brembo brakes, and and um, and uh, I, I managed to pick one up, one of the last ones that we made, 
Um, and it's number 13 of not very many. And wow. uh, it, it's uh, sitting in a nice, uh, secure place, <laughs> actually in New Zealand, <laughs> with a manual stick shift just waiting to be driven. So I haven't had a chance to actually drive it yet, but I had to get my hands on it before uh, they were not on this uh, not on this earth any longer. Fantastic. So uh, is, is this going to be one you want to keep it at close to zero K or you want to you want to get out and have a bit of fun with it? Oh, I actually bought it to drive it. And then yeah. uh, not long after that, um, I, I had to repatriate to Australia. So... Uh, I don't know now. <laughs> I'm torn. I'm torn. It's a nice, nice thing to have sitting around waiting, though. That's uh, yeah. I'll tell you what, it is be a great homecoming. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and the the value of these cars now, obviously, with the demise of Holden in Australia, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of nostalgia about it, and uh, they're becoming a very collectible car globally. You know, for 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 that. I mean, we had a few. It's sold here as a Lumina, as I said, the Lumina Coupe. I mean, they're very hard to find here now. When when I first moved here, you could see a lot, which is based on the Holden Monaro. Um, but they're a, they're a they're a desirable car. You can yeah. you can spot an Australian a mile away in Dubai because you find a, a Lumina SS and it's been rebadged as a Holden. They've basically swapped all the badges back. So, <laughs> so yeah, you can. Yeah, I've seen a few tooling around in Dubai. So yeah, yeah. Well, I was back home too, playing with with some some old cars, and you've you know. Again, I haven't driven this car since I've lived in Dubai, so it's nearly 20 years until I got back and finally got got my old uh, Alpha running around. And the classic the classic car bug hit. Um, but you've also got, in addition to the to the pickup to the Ute, you've got the uh, you've got another old lovely Holden. Yes, I mean, much to my uh, wife's chagrin, I have got a collection of cars, <laughs> but it's only two. Um, it's a it's an EK Holden, which goes back to 1961, and uh, it was inspired back then by the uh, I guess the 57 Chev with the big fins and the hooded lamps, and um, and uh, it was Holden's take on that because uh, back then uh, the company was really designing and building cars that kind of fit in the middle of these big American cars and the smaller European ones to fit the Australian roads, which ultimately turned out to be very similar to the requirements here in the Middle East, hence the export of uh, uh, cars like the Lumina and so forth into this market. But, um, uh, yep, I've got one of those. It's beautifully restored. That is also in a safe place. <laughs> <laughs> what, what what got you into the whole car thing? Is it just something from you've always been into? And uh, Probably like a lot of young fellows and ladies out there at Beautiful cars stuck, uh, pictures of beautiful cars stuck on my um, on my wall at home, and that's uh, that's all I had on my wall at home. It's uh, you know just an array of cars. The Porsche 959 was my uh, uh, it was my um, uh, it was it was my dream car. Yeah. And, you know, uh, years later, we saw all right. What can I get into that I that is attainable? And um, the Holden was, uh, I guess, the Vol- like the Volkswagen of uh, of Australia, and you could get um, as a young fellow as a uh, First car was a was a Holden uh, vehicle, and that and once I could open up the hood and that and start tinkering and restoring things like I just fell in love with it. Got yeah. Under your skin. Yeah. <laughs> what was your what was your what was the poster on on your wall, Noel? What was? Oh, F forty. F forty. Yeah, missed the boat on that one, didn't I? Yeah, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't got one of those tucked away in a garage, unfortunately. <laughs> <but anyway. laughs> I of course had the Contash. Everyone had a Contash. Yeah, Lamborghini on the wall. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what? Uh, what sort of aspirations? If there was, if there's something you'd like to get your hands on now, Ooh. that you'd uh, you'd like to maybe keep in a garage over here. Well, um, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, be. Bi- I'm absolutely in love with that Escalade V that you yeah. described. So I have to give you the the corporate response, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, you can't go th- you can't go past uh, a GT3. Um, yeah, I think uh, yeah, that would be a dream come true. 
yeah. I'll tell you what, I, and, and you'll like me for this because I genuinely believe, I, and I'm not just saying it, but that Blackwing, the, the CDSV, it's the, it's the for me, it's like it's the last saloon with a manual gearbox, rear-wheel drive, V8. It's the one to put in the garage. Mm, and that away, yeah. As yeah, I said absolutely. to you when we, were, when we were over there, it's like this is what the next Holden should have been before before things have changed down there. And so there's, a, there's an emotional attachment there and I think – and everyone who drives it, just same reaction. They get out laughing and saying, I want one. <laughs> well, that's what cars should do, isn't it? You should get out of them and have a big grin on your face. I mean, yeah, some cars obviously are just to get from A to B, but certainly, you know, anything in the performance range, you should get out of it with a big smile. I mean, that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's mm. not about it being you know, amazingly precise or, or the fastest or whatever. It's about... In enjoyment, isn't it? Yeah. At the end of the day, that's why we yeah. all do this. So, yeah. um, there's not many consumer products out there that can uh, offer an emotional and visceral experience. And uh, when you get to that sort of end of automotive, that yeah, is, uh, yeah, that's hundred percent. Yeah, it's yeah, an yeah. obligation on us to deliver that. Yeah, and, and that's something too that 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 Cadillac has too. Cadillac has a very emotional attachment. You've got Cadillac, people who just love Cadillacs from from way back to to now, and now with this future product coming up. I mean, you've got as you said before, you've got a lot of new models. You know, on the way. That's a, a huge on. Uh, how do you call it? Um, onslaught of car <laughs> workload. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, ha how are you going to get around that? You've got something like thirty new cars coming in a, in a, in a pretty short space of time. Yeah, I mean, we, we're in the middle of this transformative period. Where at the same time as these wonderful internal combustion engine vehicles, that we mm. call ICE vehicles, uh, are in the market, we're um, bringing on board, bringing on stream our future, an all-electric future. And it starts with the Lyric. We're going to have a Celestic, which is up, uh, which is uh, going to follow that, targeted at an ultra-lux market, and four others uh, in short space of time <laughs> after that. It, but uh, look, our job is to, is twofold. One is obviously to show the car um, and get the best representation of Cadillac. But also there's an education job to be, to be done around uh, in assisting the technology change for people uh, moving from their petrol-powered cars to the mm. uh, electric vehicles in a very short space of time, but that is going to be the future, and and uh, and, and we're very much committed to it. You're going to be busy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah, a hundred percent. How are you um, dealing with the situation at the moment in terms of the big issue we're all talking about: supply chain, getting availability of of, of product here. Is is that considering you have such a big range of vehicles coming? Is that having any kind of knock-on effect, or if you're working around that? We are doing our best to work around it. Uh, we are prioritising in terms of the development of future cars, our electric vehicle um, range, and and uh, that that is uh, as you can as you can uh, imagine, very hungry on superconductor chi uh, mm. superconductor chips. I mean that is the one that we've been short of the most. But it's not just that uh, when it comes to um, when it comes to uh, supply chain issues. There's all sorts of um, uh, headwinds along the way, but we've. We've prioritised Cadillacs, we've prioritised Escalades, for example, to um, and, and we've prioritised markets like the Middle East to increase the flow if uh, versus what would otherwise happen if we uh, let, let things happen naturally. So we're doing our best to uh, scrape together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because obviously yeah, the Middle East is a very big market for Cadillac, very important market, I should say, for, for, for Cadillac. Um, it's, it, it's not a huge um, – there's not a huge export compared to other GM products, so this region is very important. Um, so you've still got the Escalade, as you say, you've got the V-Series coming, some, some exciting stuff on the way. Yeah, I mean, but uh, before the end of the year, we'll have this uh, the, the the full Escalade lineup um, 
ready and in place here in the Middle East. And, um, and then really from, uh, from next year on starts our, starts our onslaught of, as you say, our onslaught of uh, EV releases. So uh, we'll have both ICE vehicles and EV vehicles alongside each other for some time to come. And uh, yep, it's going to be the fullest lineup and the freshest lineup that uh, people have seen from Cadillac for a very long time. Well, that's, uh, that's heartening. That's, that's mm. good for everyone Absolutely. who loves Cadillac, whether it be electric or combustion or whatever else. Thank you so much. Uh, Christian Aquilina. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Managing Director for Cadillac International Operations and Cadillac Middle East. We're lucky to have you in the region um, and uh, looking forward to, uh, to trying the, the next ones that are on the way very soon. Thank you very much. Appreciate the time. Thank you. And uh, we're now switching our attention to a little bit of motorsport because uh, right now there's a test happening over in France with uh, with some eligible uh, female racing drivers, mostly from the W Series. So we've got Abby Pulling, Chloe Chambers and uh, Teresa Babakova from uh, from the W Series. However, they're being joined uh, by the UAE's very own Hamda Al-Kabasi, who is taking part in his Formula 3 test in uh, Magna Corps in France this weekend. Now, this this test is part of the FIA single-seater pyramid that aims to give female drivers better access to the sport. And I'm very happy to have on the line right now from uh, from France is uh, Hamda Alkabasi. Good morning, Hamda. Good morning. How's everything? Very good, thanks. Very good, thanks. And thank you so much for, for joining us. It's a, it's a little early there to go. But I understand <laughs> that uh, that you actually tested. You were on, you were on track yesterday with, uh, with Abby Pulling. How did it go? Honestly, an amazing experience. Uh, you know, the FIA F3 car is uh, such an amazing car. Uh, the speed, the downforce, everything about it. Uh, I was really shocked and uh, I was uh, grateful for this opportunity. I tell you what, it's it's amazing compliment to you that that uh, that this is a series with the three W series uh, uh, ladies driving, but they've 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 included you as well. You've been racing in Formula Four as well, um, and uh, and and you've managed to have this beautiful opportunity to uh, to to sort of get your name on the on the international ca- uh, ladder, so to speak. Um, is that the first time that you've been to to Magna Corps, and, and is that also the first time that you've driven a, an F three car? Yes, uh, it was all new to me, so a new track and a new car. So that was the challenging part. I needed to learn the track as well as understand how the car works. Um, but I think it was definitely a really positive day. And uh, throughout the whole day, we've been improving. And, you know, lap by lap, I started to get more confident with the car. So, yeah, it was very, very interesting. Fantastic stuff. I mean, it's a, it's a... There are so many different permutations of that track um, that uh, it's a great track for testing. As a, the good thing about this, Hamda, is that this is a track that every F1 team tests at, so everyone can measure success um, like for like, in effect, because you're, you're all you know testing on that track. What was the, the biggest surprise for you in terms of, of driving this car? So I think the most... Uh thing that shocked me would be probably the downforce uh, and uh, especially in high speeds you can really carry so much speed than you expect so when I was driving I thought maybe I was on the limit but then when I go through data um, especially when we had Victor Martins with us so we would compare data and try to see how we could improve I, I could see that he could carry so much more speed so um, with the downforce of this car I, I wasn't used to that so um, to be able to carry that much speed, but the car being stable uh, in the corner is something I didn't, I wasn't used to, uh, for coming from F4 as well as uh, Freca. So, uh, yeah, that's one thing that I found very interesting about the car. 
Yeah, I guess that's the thing for people who haven't driven an open wheel car. That that that's the thing, isn't it? Is that the, the the further you keep the pedal pressed, the more grip you get because the downforce actually helps you through that. And that's something that uh, you, you you have to sort of summon up the courage, in effect, I guess, to to sort of believe in yourself and believe in the in the car and your team to to just push that little bit further. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we also learned a new thing in the car, which is the DRS. So that was one thing that was really new to me, and we were able to use it in the back straight. Uh, honestly, you can really feel the difference in speed, and uh, it was really, really fun. Okay, that's that's interesting. So, yeah, I mean, how did you adapt to 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 the DRS? Did it come naturally to you, or was it? Um, and, and what was the, what was the feeling like? So on the steering wheel, you would have to uh, press a pedal uh, button, but you would have to like hold it the whole way through the straights. And uh, it was a bit different for me. I, I wasn't really used to holding uh, a pedal or so on, on on the steering wheel. We also had the clutch there. So there was a lot going on on the steering. Um, so it took a while for me to get used to. But then uh, lap by lap, I started to understand how to hold it and where to hold it as well as uh, to let go of it. And So, yeah. Amazing. Right. Now, tell me a little bit about your, your season so far. What have you been racing in uh, so far this season? So, yeah, this year I jumped up to Freca. Um, I started off with the F3 Asia Championship alongside my father and my sister. And, uh, yeah, it was very, very positive season. Um, I had a really good pace um, and it was my first time in the car, so I think it was really good. And then uh, we decided to take it to Europe and try the Freca Championship. Uh, and uh, so far, I think we've been improving, um, you know, round by round. It's a very tough championship and everyone is really close. Uh, I've been really strong uh, in qualifying so far. I improved that throughout the season. But uh, yeah, with race pace, uh, I've still tried to work on it and uh, trying to get used to used to the car when it's heavy in the beginning and then, you know, uh, to keep the tires uh, alive, especially in hard tracks where the tire dig is uh, effective. So, yeah. Yeah, they, they, I mean, they, these are all fantastic skills that you're developing because these are the skills that you need when you move into, you know, Formula Two and even Formula One and that sort of thing. Uh, is where's where's your where's your ambition now? What would you based on based on how how yesterday went and how today is going? You've got uh, there's there's two other girls racing today testing today. Um, where's where are you looking forward to now? Is is it W Series or is it uh, Form, Formula Three? What, what's your thinking right now? Uh, honestly, I feel like I just want to get done with the uh, Freca Championship, try to push as much as I can with the final two rounds. And then, uh, you know, from there, uh, especially because I tried the car, the FIA F3 car yesterday, it's an amazing car. And uh, I'm hoping maybe in the future I'll be able to uh, to race in that championship or even uh, test a bit more. Uh, it would be a great opportunity and, uh, yeah. Fantastic. Now I know you come from a from a uh, a, a very motorsporting family. <laughs> um, did you have any other choice, or you were you destined to always be a race driver? Uh, I did have many other choices. Actually, I, I used to be a gymnast. I started off in gymnastics for seven years. Then uh, slowly, I lost a bit of the passion for it. And uh, my sister and my dad uh, were racing at the time, and uh, I watched my sister for a year back in like 2014 and uh, I really liked how she was dedicated and determined and uh, it wasn't really something I really wanted to do 
But as soon as I got into a cart and uh, I drove around and did my first uh, championship, I, I loved it. I fell in love with it, and I had the passion for it. So, how, how do you find the, the the European scene? Like you're spending a lot of time over there racing, competing. Is it something that's uh, taken some time to adapt to, or it's just could have come naturally traveling from from country to country and and uh, and competing? Uh, I do definitely miss out on a lot, uh, and especially with family being back home. I miss out on several uh, Eid occasions and uh, sometimes, uh, uh, you know, holidays or family gatherings, which is uh, a sacrifice for me. But uh, in the end, you know, coming here, I, I learn a lot and uh, I gain a lot of experience, uh, especially racing here. Uh, there is drivers from all around the world uh, coming to, to race in this championship and this is where I know I can learn from and become stronger. And then when I race nationally, you can see the results come in. So. Amazing stuff. So obviously you've mentioned your, your, your sister Amna, your father Khaled. Uh, when are we going to see the three the three Cabasis share a car in endurance racing? I know that this is something that Khaled has spent a, a lot of time competing in with, with the various cars, Mercedes, Porsche, Ferrari, the whole lot. Um, when are we going to see the three the three Cabasis together? That's actually something we really want to do in the future. Um, I know for sure that Omna is going to actually drive the LMP3 soon, so that's uh, one thing into hypercars now, and uh, I think she will have a really good experience with that car. But uh, yeah, in terms of GT, I haven't driven a GT car yet, and I'm hoping I would in the future. And then, you know, our main goal was to probably do uh, Le Mans 24 hours altogether. <laughs> that would be a dream come true, actually. Well, I tell you what, we'll all be supporting you if we see the UAE flag with uh, with the, the the three Alka bases together uh, at Le Mans. I'll uh, I'll jump on a plane and come over. That would be fantastic to see. Well, <laughs> <laughs> look, Hamda, thank you so much for your time. Um, congratulations on yesterday, and um, really enjoy. I'm enjoying watching the careers of yourself and Amna uh, flourish in Europe in open wheel racing, breaking down massive barriers and uh, and representing the United Arab Emirates in a fantastic way. So uh, all the best with the future and uh, we'll keep in touch. Thank you so much and uh, thank you for having me as well. My pleasure. That was uh, Hamda Al-Kabasi who's uh, testing in Formula 3 at the moment over in, in Paul Ricard circuit in France. Fantastic stuff, Noel. Yeah, great circuit as well. God, I've driven... Got done a few laps of there. That's uh, yeah, no, brilliant, really good. Yeah, well, that's about all we've got time for. Um, that show has absolutely flown by, and uh, we'd like to thank all our guests, Christian Aquilina from Cadillac, Hamda Alcabasi, Noel. Thank you so much. Your your plans for for this weekend? Uh, this weekend, put my feet up a little bit, I think. But uh, next week, um, need to renew my race license. Oh yes, I, I shall. More on that. Watch this space, as they the say. The season is back. It is fantastic. Back, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, what, we'll we'll be back for more. This is Motor Mania.